Today's episode is sponsored by Thunder Finch Games. Their two-player card game Faction Fighters is currently live on Kickstarter. In Faction Fighters, you lead a team of fiercely cute creatures in tactical card power combat to claim valuable treasures and powerful orbs. Journey from Starfall Fields to Shard Peak in a fully illustrated comic book. Customize your experience with 15 different factions and four area decks, each with unique strategies to explore. Control the future with mind-reading koalas or swarm the field with snakes. Timing is everything as you bluff or bolster your way to victory. So make sure you check out Faction Fighters on Kickstarter today. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're riding solo. We're talking about solo games. What does it look like to create a really fun, really engaging game that people play by themselves? And we're talking to a person I consider to be an expert on the topic, Mr. Jeremy Howard from Man vs. Meeple. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, hey, thank you, party people. I'm really happy to be here and talk about some solo games. This is what I love. So it's be exciting. Yeah, definitely. I saw a video with you and Tom Vassell, I don't know, many moons ago, a while back, and you guys were talking about solo games, and I just loved how passionate you were about it. I love how you would, first of all, you were just messing with Tom the whole time, which anyone who messes with Tom is is a a cool guy in my book. I I love that when Tom gets messed with, you know, he's a friend of mine as well, and so I just really enjoyed that video, and so I was like, "Mm, I need to have Jeremy on the show, and really glad that you're able to uh, to be on today. And so, before we get into it, though, Tell me a little bit of your backstory. How'd you get into gaming? How'd you get into working with Man vs. Meeple and, and playing games and all that kind of thing? Oh, well, I'll try to keep it fairly short. Uh, so, yeah, I got back into game. I mean, I've always been a gamer, but I come from sort of a gaming family. But we played all the, like, you know, the classic games and stuff like that. But, you know, as I got older, I came back into it after my wife's, uh, my father-in-law passed. And uh, she was like, hey, you know, take some of this money, do what you want to do with it, pick something that you love. And I was like, you know what? I want to try board games again. And she was just like, just, you know, he wants you to be happy. That's what we're, you know, doing things that make us happy. And uh, that's what I did. So I bought these games and and I ended up buying Kingdom Death Monster. And uh, I played solo by myself for like a year. And then, um, yeah, I bought Kingdom Death Monster. I went all in on that one. And trust me, if you love Mage Knight and Kingdom Death Monster, like you are pretty much ready to go all in on the hobby. And those are like my first two games. So, so uh, yeah, I, I did that. And interestingly enough, it kind of tied into my, me becoming a content creator because I dumped my Kingdom of Death Monster stuff in like multiple expansions to go to Gen Con 50. And when I was on my way to Gen Con 50, I was like, you know what? I want to be a content creator. So that's what I'm going to do. And I did it. <laughs> and like... A couple of years later, you know, through a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work, um, and of course, context that I had built, I now could be part of Man vs. Meeple. I was kind of a free agent at a certain point, and uh, luckily, between, not bidding between other people, but the selection I had, I just decided to go with Man vs. Meeple, and it, it was great. It was actually like a great idea to do, and it's been great for the year that I've been with them. A little bit more than a year now so it's been really awesome very cool so it sounds like when you first got into the the hobby side of gaming as you kind of came back you basically started off in solo gaming right yep because my, my wife not not really into that stuff my son was so small at the time at the time uh you know can't really concept many rules and it just wasn't him yet you know uh, but yeah it was it was kind of uh that was pretty much who I was the entire time. So I was playing like a lot of dungeon crawlers like Shadows of Brimstone, uh Dungeon Saga, like I said, Mage Knight, and then Zombicide, and then like then the K- KDM was like the one. You know, like it was my first deep, like all in Fourier into like lifestyle game, you know. If you like KDM it's a lifestyle game. You're you're painting. You're putting things 
get things together. You're buying extra components because you want to make sure yours looks cool. You know, you're you're buying you know things at a hardware store to store them in. You know, like you're doing everything because that game is a full-on experience. So yeah, I was a solo gamer to the core. I wasn't even. I didn't even really set foot in a game store to play games with people, um, you know, right away. I just didn't, that stuff was, I was just a complete solo gamer. And then I slowly started to delve into the community because I, I finally started going to game stores and things like that. But yeah, at that time, I was only a solo gamer for at least a year, year and a half. Gotcha. I want to talk more about lifestyle games, especially when it comes to solo gaming in a, in a little bit. But first, before we really get into this, What's a good working definition? Like, what exactly does it mean for a game to be a solo game? I feel like maybe the answer is obvious, where you play by yourself, but is there more to it than the obvious answer? Yeah, I, I just feel like there's different degrees of solo, though. Like, you know, solo co-op, right? Like, you know, if you're playing two-handed, you're playing a co-op game, multi-handed characters, it's solo, I call it, it's co-op, but it's solo a bowl, you know? Like, that's how I, I call it, solo a bowl. And then there's a game that's like, like just what we call true solo, where you play with one character, you can go on your one quest. Like Too Many Bones is like the perfect example of that game. Like it is, you can tell that game was built from the bottom up as a solo game. But you can play a co-op if you want. But you can play every every character by themselves through the whole game. So that, that's a great like example of doing both. Um, you know, whereas like a lot of games, you're going to be controlling a team of people. And, you know, is that true solo? Nah, not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, not really by definition, right? Not by right. definition. Like you can you can actually play Aeon's in with one character. You're going to get pummeled, but you can. So that is true solo, you know? Um, that's the thing. It's, it's, there's a true solo. Like a lot of these LCG games, you can play with one character. You probably get pummeled, but you can't. True solo. You know, um, so I can't take that away from some of these games that are out there like that. Yeah. Now, where does a game with a solo mode fit into this? That's one thing you and I were talking briefly about right before we hit record, is how many games are on the market now, you know, considered to be wonderful solo games that are actually winning awards, like solo game of the year. And it's really a two to four player game. And it's got a little one player solo mode in the box as well. And people are like, oh, you know, so how does that fit in? Well, I just feel like, uh, you know, if a, if a game can be played solo, then it should be up for the solo award. Like you were talking about Wingspan. Like it's the solo mode is designed by one of the best solo design groups called Atoma Factory. That guy, that team, they're great. You know, like there's no, there's no difference between what they're doing and, you know, John Breyer's doing, Keith Mateka's doing, and, uh, you know, and David Turtsy are doing. Like, they they put the same effort into every Jamie Stagmeyer game. And, uh, you know, it's it's true solo. Like, it may, it may be light solo or general solo, but guess what, man? Like, that's what it is. And uh, I, I don't like when, I, I don't like when games don't represent the categories well, right? Um, like you just like is that the best solo game? Clearly not. There's a lot of great solo games last year. Like even if Cloudspire won, I'd be happy with that. But you're also talking about how people vote, and that's a different conversation. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's really what that is. Is you know it is a solo game and it's solo bowl, but like you're not really getting a lot of voters who are solo voters. They they see somebody on the list and that's what they chose. So yeah. You know, that's and that's point. just not that's not, and that's not like a shot at wings, man. It's just that's really what it comes down to when you have these awards. Um, they put they do with you know what they have, and that's what they right. have. And honestly, I'm I'm splitting hairs if I'm being completely yeah. honest. And I feel no, like that's what no. we do as yeah. gamers. We argue yeah. about oh, yeah. is this worker placement or not? Is this yeah. a deck building versus bag? Whatever. We split hairs all the time. I would love to see the categories be you know best solo mode and then also have a best solo game category because I feel like they are distinctly different. And you bring up a really good point. The voters, you know, most people aren't solo gamers. And so someone who's played Wingspan, maybe never even played the solo mode, but they're like, oh, I love Wingspan. And like you said, they see it on the list. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to vote for that, even though it's in a, a game mode I've never played, just because of they love the game. And so, I don't know. I feel like we could have maybe some more specific categories because mainly I want to get 
love out there for these solo games because I feel like it is a really amazing category of games. I feel like it's emerging in some really cool ways as more people get into it, as more people come into the hobby kind of like you did, and they even just start off in solo gaming for you know whatever reason. And so I just want more games in that genre to be highlighted. And it's a little self-serving because I love designing solo games as well. So <laughs> it's also yeah. partly yeah. that, but you know. Like I said, that I think the whole conversation as far as the awards go always has to do with the people. Like they see they see something in the category and they go, Oh yeah, it's got a one on it, that's fine. It's 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 also hard to like it's also hard to get people to vote, which is a whole different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so it's hard to get people to vote for things they even love. So, you know, that that's you know, it's kinda of set for right now, right? In the, the kind of the world we're in. So when you think of that, I'm just like thinking it's so hard to get people to vote. And solo yeah. gamers you know, as much people as like like pick a pick a specific game like Kingdom Death Monster and Gloomhaven. Like you might get people from Gloomhaven to vote on games, but usually those people who are playing lifestyle games are too busy playing the lifestyle games to vote for something like this. You know, like they don't care. You know, they don't care. They're too busy, you know, not being on BGG and voting for these things and caring for those things. So it's a it's it's a it's just a weird thing to represent the hobby awards and in all facets and all different uh, genres are hard to, 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 to truly represent what's going on in our hobby. Yeah. That's a really good point. All right. Let's get into the why, why is it important for publishers to put out games that are solo only, or at least have a one player mode? Why is this something that we should be talking about right now? Why is it something that's going to bring more people into the hobby? Well, first of all, I don't think they should have one. I think I think it's difficult to do, and at for designers, unless they build a design that is built from the ground up as a solo game, there's always going to be challenges in the design that can or cannot lend itself to being played solo. Uh, because sometimes, just by building a certain design, you've made it where, let's say you do a game that's co-op, competitive and then you want to do like a cooperative mode those are three different challenges within the same design and you're trying to still keep the theme you're still trying to keep the heart of the gameplay and the tension that it's created and you may go totally left of that or totally right of that trying to create a you know a specific mode one one of the three modes let alone like you know one of them is going to suffer it's very rare that you don't have one where it's like oh yeah like that worked that worked and that worked. No, it's usually like one is great and one is like, eh. so when somebody makes a solo mode, I think it's awesome and it's important, but I also don't want it to be a lackluster design because they really forced a solo mode into the gameplay. I myself, of course, want that. I mean, we're greedy. We want that kind of stuff, right? We want the solo mode in there, but I, I just want to make sure it's fleshed out and I want to make sure it's tested, it's fleshed out, and it's fun. You know, the first rule of every board game is to have fun. And I don't want it to just be this overly complex thing because usually you can't make a solo mode out of any game. It's just that it, it could be bad or too complex for no reason. Um, and I, I I mean, I've just played a couple of them right now. I'm thinking about that. <laughs> thinking like, oh, man, I just played a couple just recently. And I'm like, gosh, this is too complex to be solo, man. Like, it doesn't have to be this hard. You know, uh, but I don't design games, so I don't know that. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, solo modes, as much as I want them and as much as they round out a product for me, like making my, you know, my backing decisions and my purchasing decisions, I understand just because of playtesting stuff too, that it's difficult to pull off. Like it is not always easy to pull it off in certain designs. Yeah. And you bring up a great point. You know, it's really easy to put a solo mode in the box just because as a publisher, you know, it's going to bring in a little bit more revenue because now people that see that one, you know, they see that it's one to four players like, oh, okay, I play games by myself and they're, they might buy it when maybe it's not any good, as you say, right. maybe That's it right. is just yeah. throwing it in the box. I think Kickstarters are, are bad about doing this too. You know, they need a stretch goal and they're like, yeah, I will add solo mode to the game. And huh. I feel like a lot of people at this point are kind of seeing through that. Like, well, if, if you didn't design it, with solo mode in mind, are you just tacking it on? How's it going to feel? And so I, here's an interesting question I want to ask you. How important is the the normal game's experience, right? The two to four player, whatever experience in the solo mode? Like as a designer, am I really trying to just completely recreate the exact same experience of the regular game or, or how should I approach that? Should I, is it okay to be a little bit different? Yes. So I think uh, it, 
of course, you optimally would like it if the game, especially when you're choosing a theme, it's important what theme you're choosing because you could be telling a story with one mode, or no, you could be playing a multiplayer game with one mode. And somewhere in the story of what that game's about, you could be playing one character in that story versus the same world you were in with the other part. So you actually can thematically make it work. So that, that actually engages a solo gamer because they go like, all right, I'm playing the multiplayer game. And then like, but, but this part is actually the journey or the prequel to the actual game. You know, it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like there was actually one person in the beginning and in the multiplayer game, we have four guardians. Well, this is the initial guardian back when it all started, you know? And it's like, and you're fighting against the five gods and stuff like that. Like you can make, you can make it work. It's just that like outside of that, I think people buy your game to, to, to really enjoy the multiplayer experience. And I think the solo mode should, whatever tension that's created, whatever, um, you know, like crunchy decisions that are made, they need to be made by cards or some kind of automa mode to make you feel like you are with you are in the same experience as a two to four player game. Now there are games where they block out spots. Like there's a, a like I'm thinking of Manhattan Project NDG Empire. It's one of my favorite games ever, but it's got one of the most kind of bland solo modes because it's really just a block like a placement block restriction. So you're just kind of like working around the blocks and there's a way that you can work around it and stuff like that. That's okay for certain games. It's just that the cards in that game are so thematic that you get it. Um, but I think games that are way more heavier in the theme, you definitely want to try to keep that theme somewhere in there. Uh, I'm thinking a Call of Two Adventure is a good example. Like you want to keep it where it still feels like the theme is still there. We're not... We're not having a full disconnect from the game. Uh, that's how I feel. I just feel like it should be a full disconnect. Yeah, and I love the idea of designing a game with a solo mode in mind that you know is going to be different from the regular game, but it's still in the same universe. It's still thematic. So, for instance, if you're designing a uh, post-apocalyptic game and you've got all these kind of crazy, you know, out in the the rad zone characters, well, the solo mode maybe 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 it does need two characters to work effectively well if you right. turn two characters into you and your dog and the dog also gets these action cards and things like that then it doesn't feel like i'm playing two separate people necessarily it's like oh i'm, I'm this character and his dog and we're going to go through this other story or other way to play or yeah. something like that that's a really interesting way to approach that's, it and i feel like people would buy into that that's exactly what why robinson crusoe is one of my favorite games it's just you and your dog yeah so it's like it could just be you and your dog and you guys are to survive um, other, the only sad thing is you don't get to eat the dog, but that's fine. <laughs> well, I guess it's you ask. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, why can't the dog be food when it really counts? Right. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> so I just, I just, uh, that's how I feel about it. I, I think uh, there's some games that just do it so well. And then there's games that are okay. And then there's most games which are bad. <laughs> these types of things so right that's how i'll say it like it's just like it's actually the opposite of most games where most games are okay or good and there's very few that are great most solo modes are bad and like it's just there's just some okay ones in the middle and there's just very few that are great so it's like kind of uh, works the opposite way the majority are bad you gotta watch it you gotta watch it man you gotta watch it <laughs> Yeah, that's a fair point. I want to get into your favorites here in just a minute. But before we do that, you mentioned Automa Factory with Morton and his team. And then they do all the Stonemaier games and they've branched out and they're starting to do other uh, games as well for these really amazing solo modes. How how in the world do they recreate the experience so well? Because I feel like when you play Viticulture or you play Scythe or even Wingspan, you know, it really recreates the the basic game or the normal game, the multiplayer game so well. How do they do that magic? Like, what do you think playing those games? You know, I don't know. I, you know, I've always, I mean, of course, like I've tried to invent my own solo modes for certain games. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it's difficult, man. And uh, it's difficult to keep the same flow of the game. And I just, I really trust, you know, what they do. Now, I did play one of their recent games with their Automa Factory. And I, I did, I didn't think it was good, but boy, did they try really hard. I could tell. I was like, Lord Jesus, this is a lot of work. <laughs> and and it just did not work. <laughs> but I, I, I saw that and I said, geez, they put a lot of work into this. 
It just doesn't work, man. Uh, so, <laughs> but that's the thing. And not everything can be a winner. Not everything can be perfect, man. Not everything yeah. can be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. You can't bat a thousand. You know what I mean? Like you're going right, to strike out every now and then. A thousand, man. You can't. Right. So. Now let's dive into that a little more. You mentioned earlier, you know, solo modes being too complex. You know, you mentioned this one. It makes you feel like you're doing too much work. Like what does, what does that mean exactly? Let's dive a little bit deeper into how to like, tell me a little bit more as a gamer and a person who loves solo games. What is that threshold? What is that line that gets crossed? You're like, wow, this is too complex. There's too much going on. And then it feels like more work than fun. Where is that line? I feel like, so there's a thing about like campaign games. Sometimes campaign games try to build a world and you have to physically build the world to the point where it's too much. Or there is, you know, a heavier game that you're, you're almost adding a full other game to managing the character, that's the, the opponent that you have. Um, I'm not saying it should be dumbed down and simple. What I'm saying is, is that it shouldn't be that difficult to, to upkeep or to understand what the AI is doing. And once you feel that way, you start to say to yourself, uh, maybe I think I may have bit off more than I can chew here. Now, there are games that have a lot of characters you have to move around, and they'll say, hey, if this happens, then that happens. Sometimes it's just confusion on your part. Sometimes it's just operator error. You're not, you're not understanding the basic rules. But the the big one is is that like sometimes these games, man, they get too full, way too full of rules, and you're already you're already all the way in, you know, as far as uh, you know, like you're all the way into the theme and managing your stuff, and then the world building and the the management of your you know your base and everything, it just gets so much. I don't, you know, it takes away from the fun. It takes you out of it because you're having to figure out how to manage it, how to build these things. And, it, you know, I think sometimes it's just too much. Kingdom Death Monster, big game, big game, but very easy to organize. Very easy to organize. You can even organize it even more, you know, like than what they give you. Um, and I, I, that let me know that, like, just because a game is big doesn't mean it's overwhelming. But, like, I'm also playing this one right now. It's called Hunters AD 2144. There's cards everywhere. There's no way to organize this game. It's crazy. Uh, it's crazy. And the AI rules are complicated and clunky and all kinds of stuff. There's a great game in there somewhere. I just haven't found it yet. There's a great game in there somewhere. <laughs> Now, when you say organize, are you meaning like where the cards go and where the tokens go? Yeah, like so like physical like, space. Yeah, yeah like it, it's not just the. I, I can handle physical space. I have a four by six table. My big thing is, is that why am I taking up this much space? Why? And then two, as I see more and more buildings and cards that represent buildings, and then you take those cards out to figure out what the conversation was, so that you can go to another spot with another set of cards. Now you're just putting cards out everywhere. And it, I, I actually get it because you're actually building this town or city full of locations. And then you're, you have places that are outskirts of those locations. And then you also have your base that you need to go back to. Yes, it all makes sense. But this is one of those. This, is, this game specifically is an example of where you, when somebody says, why don't you just play video games? This would be a game makes their case for that that's exactly like when i was thinking about how i'm going to cover this game i was like this may be that game that 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 does that like it says hey this is why we play video games because i have so many cards i have five six hundred cards that i am going to be taking in and out and reading and and doing different things with which is something the, the writing is so good it's so good but <laughs> there's cards everywhere and then when you got to put this thing up and put it back out like like this is it's just crazy. Like, it's crazy. And I, and like, I like heavy games. I mean, Too, Too Many Bones is a great heavy game, heavier solo game. And it takes you off on a journey. It's got cards. It's got a whole bunch of dice. But it's just neatly organized. The, the, there's a big player aid for each character. You know, like, in, and they are their own puzzle. But it's fair. It's laid out for you. And uh, it's just done in a clean way. So that you don't have a ton of upkeep, and the way that the uh, the AI interacts is on clean. It's on a big player aid. It has all the language, even for Cloudspire, another difficult like game. It's all laid out. Yes, it is a a teach. It is a learn, but it's laid out, 
and it, it's not over complicated. And for some reason, like when I look at this game and I'm playing Hunter's AD, it's very difficult for me to go back to it if I have something else to do because I have to put it all back out. I have to put my city back out, you know, like, so. Yeah, you bring up a really good point about with a solo game for a designer to realize that one player has to do everything, all the setup, all the learning of the rules and the figuring out the rules, all the playing of the game, all the putting it back in the box, all that stuff is now on one player. Where if you're playing with four people, you could say, hey, uh, you mind putting all these things back and you grab all the tokens. Like you can kind of spread out the burden of these different areas. With a solo game, you can't. And so like that one player is going to carry the entire load. And I think it's something to realize with how many cards do you have? How much is going on? Could you design a simple app that would take the place of having to put out 300 cards, right? And maybe that's worth the investment. Things to think about. Yeah, I, oh man, dude, I, <laughs> yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're totally right, man. I can't, like, I can't even say that even better. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. I was talking to a friend of mine a while back. He's a big time solo gamer. It's the main way he plays games. And he was bothered by how a lot of times a, a rule book will have the solo mode in the back. But instead of teaching you how to play, it basically just says, it's just like the regular game, except these changes. And so he's like, well, now I got to go read the entire rule book to figure out how the regular game is played. And then I have to go to the back of the book and figure out the changes. What are your thoughts? Are there better ways to lay out a rule book? No. For... Okay. <laughs> no, uh, no, that's, that's, to me, that's the only reason why that's silly is because why would you ever think a board game other than a game that says it's a solo journey only, why would you think that I need to tell you how to play the entire game, starting with the back of the book? I want to tell you how to play the game. It's one to four players. I'm teaching you how to play the four-player game. And along the way, I'm showing you how to alter the board for two players. I'm not going to show you how to alter the board for, place the board for four players, alter it for three, alter it for two, and alter it for one. All in the same rule book while I'm explaining the game. It would be the worst rule book to read ever. So, like, other than, like, the charts for the components and stuff like that, I just don't see any reason why to do that. Like it, it's the solo mode should be in the back and it should have its own area. And if it's longer to explain, there's nothing wrong with that. You got your own part of the book. You don't need to flip back and forth. You got to read the rules. Like you can't skip the rules. So why does it matter if they're in the back or not? Like you want some nice fleshed out rules. Maybe you even say, Hey, I suggest you play a couple rounds of the base game so you can get an idea of how it plays. Here's the solo rules. These are the differences. Um, da, da, da. And I, I, I even respect games where they'll be like, hey, you know, the solo mode is re- uh, meant as a training game for the multiplayer. That's fine by me as long as it doesn't stink. <laughs> you know, like, just as <laughs> long as it doesn't stink, I'm fine with that, you know, because uh, they probably didn't care about solo mode. But a lot of Euro games are really just multiplayer solitaire anyway. So sometimes it's not really that hard to make a solo mode for it because it's really just all of us just doing our own efficiency puzzle, but we're just sitting at the, across the table from each other. So it's there's nothing wrong with that. I, I The back of the book, that doesn't bother me. It's not disrespectful or anything like that. Gotcha. Makes sense. All right. As far as a solo mode and the win condition, what are your thoughts on games that you're really just playing for points and trying to beat your high score versus games that have an actual win condition where you're trying to, you know, be the first one to cross the finish line or you're trying to escape from the aliens. What are your thoughts on those two different ways of handling things? Yeah. So I I do like, of course I like missions. And then I also like campaign ends. And I also, of course we all want to beat the AI to a certain thing. Um, but I also like ideas where you do beat your highest score. Sometimes they're like I like games where you have to reach a certain objective and then you also have a score after that. Or the objective, the score is part of like com- completing a certain amount of objectives. Uh, that kind of thing. I'm kind of saying the same thing. But, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with beat your score if it's a great game. Like if it's a great game. But sometimes sometimes that's where you get into this lazy solo mode stuff uh, when you just have beat your score. Um, so that's a, that's a tricky one. And it is of course the most boring of all win states uh, because it, you know, there's really no true competition in a beat your score game. It's really just you against the game. 
um, I'm thinking about a game called It's a Wonderful World. There's a, you know, you're, they have a deck that you have to set up, and then they have these objectives that you have to complete. Or Alibari, you know, at, versus Alibari, which is just a whole bunch of objectives you can check off in the back of the book that you've completed along the way. Uh, or what is it? Is that Spring Meadow where you actually have to, like, do certain things within seasons or something like that? Or, you know, like, I'm trying to think of these ways that, like, people score points, but, you know, are they fun? Are they not fun? Like, it it just, it really just depends on how great the game is. And all those games I just said were not great. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Wonderful World is good, though. Like, but the other ones are not great. They're just scores, you know, scores, scores, scores. You know, Alibari is a great multiplayer game, but solo game, you know, it ain't Snowdonia. You know, so, you know, it's just, it's just weird. It's a, it's a weird, uh, that, that beach your score thing. It, it just really is game to game. It has to be a great game. The gallery is just one of those, you know, you're just, you're just trying to beat a score. It is a great game on its own. So I'm fine with that. Like it's just yeah. certain case by case basis. I think on those things. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What I tried to do for my solo game hunted you know, in, in it's a series of games and in all of them, you're on the run. Something is hunting you and you're trying to escape. You're trying to get to the end of the game. You're trying to play enough cards before time runs out and beat the final boss. And then you leave, whether you, know, you have to defeat the alien and get on your escape pod and leave or, or whatever it is. And so the way I handled it there is, okay, to win the game, you have to live. You have to, you know, get out in time. But then if you win, here are ways to count up how many points you scored. And, and you know, you don't win very often. It's a very difficult game. But then when you do win, there's still a way to kind of track your, your progress or how, how well did you do compared to, you know, the last time you won. And I feel like that might be a decent hybrid, hopefully at least. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, you also have that, that thing of like mixing it up a little bit. Yeah. I like that idea. Like I, like I said, I like blended ideas because that way you get both. Like, like I said, it's your wonderful world. Like you have things you have to pass anyway and you have to complete within that, but then you also can, you know, beat your score. I like that idea, you know, um, or uh, was it Gugong where you, you can't really even finish the game if you don't do certain things in the solo mm -hmm. mode, but you also have this thing you got to beat. And I, I just like that idea, you know, like it, it's, if it's a blend, it makes it more interesting. At least I'll say that it makes it more. Yeah. Interesting. It, it seems like it, it seems like the game has a lot more tension when yes. that's the case. When that's what when I don't I'm want. Not sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I don't want to lose is the tension. Like, what, I, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I don't want to lose the tension. Um, right. And that's what often is left off the table, and I don't want it. Yeah. Now, when it comes to what you're looking for in a solo game, so as a big-time solo gamer, you know, you pick up a game, you turn it over, you look at the back of the box, maybe you go on BGG, maybe you watch a review video or something like that. What are you actively looking for to figure out, is this any good? Is this a solo game worth buying? Am I going to enjoy this? Uh, so things that I, I'm a really big researcher of games before I even think about buying a game. Uh, there's very few games that I would buy impulsively and usually they're card games. Like I usually just look at it and go, okay, so it's like this, or if it's like a trick taking game, I usually just buy it and play it. Um, but when it comes to like actual like solo games that I'm looking at, usually they're going to be bigger games, you know, we're talking 40 to, you know, $150, um, I'm I'm doing I'm reading the rule book first. I'm you know I'm looking up any kind of any coverage on it. Like did they cover it at BGG last Gen Con? You know uh, was there somewhere was somebody had heard about it? Since I'm a content creator, I may ask somebody who did the Kickstarter preview. You know like those types of things. Um, that's what I'm doing to even get to the point where I even like go deeper into the game. You know and. You know, I'll look at the FAQs. I'll look at all kinds of stuff. Just anything I can get researched before I even decide, like, how deep am I going to go into this? And then I'll make a purchase. I, I'm so far past the impulse buy stage in my life <laughs> in board games. Like, I'm, I've done that already. You know, thousands of dollars on Kickstarter and all that stuff. Like, now I'm finding games. Like, I have to find the game. I have to find the right game that's going to fit for me because I want less boxes sitting on top of my shelf. I want less. Now, um, so yeah, I can be a pretty tough judge of solo games. And thankfully, of course, I get to cover a lot of them. Um, and I get to, you know, play a lot of these in prototype form. 
so I know for sure. Like Seventh Citadel, I know what it's like, so I can, you know, tell people what you know how it is, and I can also put my money behind it. You know what I'm saying? So it's a it's a little different. Thankfully, I have some of that house advantage to to make better informed purchases as well. Right now, what are some of the common trends that maybe you've noticed among the games that are really good? as solo games or at least as solo modes what are some of the common commonalities in those you know what we just we kind of we kind of covered that one is just really having the theme hit like a home run and be getting that same tension going on uh and just having the, the thing is is i don't think some games have to be innovative they just have to be well you know well implemented and uh you know like a little bit better of the familiar like Seven Citadel is a good example of that. Like, there's familiarity there, but it's clearly a better game. Like, it is clearly a better game. When I played it, I was like, this is clearly a better game, easily. Um, it's more ambitious. It does some of the same similar things you would see from Seven Citadel. It plays totally different, though. Like, it, the experience is different, you know. So that's what I like to see. Um, I also like I like I like good co-ops and a lot of the best solo games are cooperative and that's okay um, because you do want to have this journey together you want you want to tell a tale and very rarely is a tale told by uh, one warrior by themselves you know even in movies we have one warrior who goes on a journey and what happens during that journey they end up picking up like three people right <laughs> it's like it starts out with a, a, a warrior and his 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 whimsical little you know animal friend and then along the way they meet another animal and then along the way they meet a woman and along the way they you know so it's the same idea in the board game it's like you get to start out with several people and go on you know raids and you start out with you know a, a faction and you get to fight back against this these people like those are great experiences and if you're one player you get to like take all that on you know, uh, I'm thinking like Village Attacks, like Village Attacks. It's like it's a, you know, big old crap button. You know, it's <laughs> everything's coming towards you and you get to be X amount of characters fighting these things off. And that feels great. Like it feels you feel tension because the game is designed that way. It's designed to overwhelm you. Zombie sides the same way. You know, it's parts equal parts. Ooh, let's do something really cool, and then other parts run like run, and the game makes you run. That's a great feeling, you know. Like you can get that with you and your friend and two other friends, but you can still feel that by yourself when you're playing with multiple people. That is the type of experience that people, I think, are looking for. If it's a solo puzzle type game, there's nothing wrong with that either. Or a hand management game, like Mage Knight, is a hand management game but it has this journey in it and the journey is the experience of that hand puzzle that makes it very engaging. And like I said, it just, it really is picking each one of these games apart. But I, I generally find that two of the big ones is, is having a nice hand puzzle where you feel like you have so many interesting choices on your own to make. And then there's the cooperative part where it embraces the theme, gives you interesting choices to make. And you feel like, every character you control really is you doing it, you know, and not like a, like an AI in a video game where it's just like this autopilot AI that's just kind of standing there and swinging at stuff. It's like, it's like you want it to feel like you really do have control of what's going on. And, you know, you feel like four awesome people and not just one. Definitely. Now, when it comes to theme, are there certain themes that seem to do better than others? Are there certain themes that seem to lend themselves to a solo experience? Certain games that lend themselves to a solo experience. Like certain themes. Themes? Uh, well, I mean, I actually don't think so. I think if you insert fantasy theme, you can insert any theme that has multiple warriors and create them. Because um, it's like, if that works, I mean, like fantasy theme, space theme, Lovecraft theme, you know, Vikings theme. It's actually just what you do with it. Norse theme, like there's a difference between the Norse theme and I mean, like the Norse theme and like just the pure generic fantasy theme, the anime theme. You know, it, 
you can, you can make up your own world. Like too many too many bones. I keep I don't know why I keep bringing up too many bones, but it, it's it's a thing of like you can make up your own world. It's just I don't I don't I feel like it all comes down to your design. It's just what does your design want to achieve here? Um, and that's that's the most important part. Like what is your design supposed to tell me? What am I? Where is the fun? You know where is the fun? What kind of what kind of fun are we having here? Um, and that's that's what takes place. So it's gameplay over everything. My my line is always that gameplay over everything. I don't care about your theme if your game doesn't sound fun. Like it has to sound fun. And I think that's what get missed. It gets missed is themes are so important to people, but oftentimes you are left with a very beautiful game that is very generic and no good for you to actually play. And that's unfortunate because that could cost you like two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> All right, let's dive into some of your favorites and why. So give me just one of your favorite all-time you know, solo games and then kind of unpack why do you think you love it so much. Um, you know what? Let's just talk about one with just a score. My favorite game of all time is uh, Mage Knight. But um, I'm going to go ahead with The Gallerist. The Gallerist is a game I don't talk about too often. Um, the Gallerist, Gallerist to me is a modern classic. What it does is, is it's a very generic-looking game. It's a what I call a clean design look. And but it's not appealing to everyone, and it looks so um, dry because what you're doing is is you're trying to promote these artists and get people to come from around the world to look at your art and then sell the art and promote this person while they're hot, and then they get better. So you're fulfilling contracts, kind of going back and forth. Now the AI has something similar to video culture where you're kind of like. It's pushing you around with their actions, but it's it's going in like a kind of a timed movement across the board. So you're just trying to like figure out when the best time is to get to where you want to go. But it does alter like, you know, it alters your path just a little bit. And what I like about the game is, is it still allows you to play the game. But there is the game is already challenging as it is. But having someone, just somebody there, to fuss with you just a little bit, just, you know, just, just a little bit gives you the same feeling as if you were playing with just, uh, just another player. Like that's it. That's all you need. The game is already difficult on its own. And I really appreciate that. Um, Cause it's a, it, it just seems like they could have found a way to make this so much di- more difficult than it actually needs to be. Um, and they didn't. That was, that one I'd really, really appreciate because um, that actually like set me off. I'm like, as long as this is not too complicated, like Anachrony, this, the Chronobot in that game, yeah, that game is amazing. The Chronobot in that game is not necessarily that easy to deal with um, and it can be kind of punishing because that game is already a lot of mental upkeep and, you know, but, but I definitely enjoy it. It, thank God that game is like the most thematic, awesomest Euro. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, I, I really, yeah, that one I really just enjoy because it actually, that's that's actually a perfect game to describe how I feel about games. Like, I don't care about the theme unless you have a really good mechanisms in that game. And just by the fact that like, they executed good worker placement, having dead sexy components, but they also the mechanisms in that game like shoot like they basically make give it's like a home run for the theme. It's a home run for the theme. Like you literally are borrowing things from different time periods and trying to get back and pay them off. And then the world's gonna explode and it changes the board. That's amazing. And it actually does work out. And you feel this tension of, oh my God, I'm not gonna get these things done before the world explodes. At the end of the game, the world's gonna explode. Literally, the game is done. And parts of the board are going to go away. And I'm thinking to myself, like, there are very few games that can do this right. And that is one. That is the perfect example of one. Uh, that it, home run on the theme, mechanisms, uh, components, everything. The game is darn near perfect to me. So that's one of my other favorite games. Um, I, the one I just thought about these two. I could, like, Too Many Bones, if you couldn't tell, is one of my favorite ones. I'm thinking about games that I just... That I just really love. Uh, Dawn of the Zeds. I don't even like zombie games. It's, it's the best zombie game there is, period. Like, you're basically trying to uh, 
stop these zombies from coming into your base and your hospital and stuff like that. And you're trying to put up these, you know, barricades and you're trying to like get support from different, the military and things like that. And you're trying to manage your crew of people while this horde is coming. And it is very risky, very risky. You feel the tension of the risk that's at hand by fighting, even just by fighting. And, uh, you know, it's difficult to fight back because uh, you don't always have the necessary tools. You need to have the right people together to make this better, make it easier for you to fight off. But the characters don't line up all the time. And I, I love the simplicity of how you manage all these things. But it sells this feeling of it actually does a great job of selling the feeling of you got to run. But you got to protect yourself, but you got to run. And it, that's a special combination. It's another game with a very special connection uh, to what you're doing uh, thematically. But the, the, the reason why I really love it is because it has a great onboarding process and it has great uh, incremental growth into how the experience plays out. Uh, they have five different modes and they all go up in like level of difficulty and it does play out well. So if you like learn it, want to learn it, you can learn it in a certain order and you can adapt the game to it. And it actually really does work. It, uh, I really appreciate that design quite a bit. It's a gift that keeps on giving. I'm glad they keep reprinting it and uh, keeping it going. And every time it looks better. <laughs> they make it look better every time. So, um, And they streamline it too. So yeah, it's a very, very, very good game. I, I highly regard that game. I can keep going though. I got plenty. <laughs> oh man, yeah, keep going. I got, I'm just curious because I mean, yeah. I feel like people out there that are designing solo games or designing yeah. solo modes, one of the best things you can ever do is talk to someone who loves solo games and just kind of get in their brain a little bit and understand why, like what what attracts you to these different things, what makes it fun, and so yeah, just keep 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 going, keep going. Oh well. I'm just trying to think of one of uh, my favorite, one of my favorite games that's like a campaign game is Folklore. Folklore is a uh, set in this kind of like dark, uh, grim world. Uh, yeah, like dark, you know, dark creatures, werewolves, vampires, you know, this kind of stuff like that. And what what's... The core of that game is this straight up D and D. It's almost exactly D and D, and it's it's almost exactly D and D. But what they did was is they really leaned into the writing in that in that uh, that thing. And like, there are certain games that are like that, like Tainted Grails, like that. Um, I'm just trying to think of like another game that's like that. But it's just like they leaned into the writing so well that. Even the smallest things that are inconsistent as far as the gameplay goes and the flaws, they can be so overlooked because the writing is so good. And I think that's a component of when you're trying to tell these stories and create worlds that you really have to have powerful writing. That actually has to do with your rule book and, and then actually what you're trying to tell us, the worlds you're trying to sell us. I have, and this is like a total tangent off the side, it's like I have had games where um, like title blades, I didn't even care about the theme. Then I started reading the character cards, which they created different characters with their own little decks that explain their story. And even the moves that you pull off are like part of their story. And I was like, whoa, this actually is, this little cards actually give me some, you know, little, little I care about these little characters now. I, I, I at least, I understand the character because they made a deck that actually does represent the character. And they gave me enough information in the beginning to understand the moves that they make and how they have these abilities. And it's like on the cards, the cards tell the story. I'm like, wow, that's a really interesting way to do it. And it works in the multiplayer and it works in the solo mode as well. Now. Um, so I, I liked, I liked that idea. Um, I do like, I mean, I, I think I, everybody does like an a, a Automa deck. Everybody appreciates an Automa deck. So, like, all the Stagmire games with the Automa Factory are always pretty clutch. Um, they're always pretty clutch. But uh, John Breiger, he did um, Rurik, Dawn of Kiev. That's a very, very interesting solo mode game because it's a dudes on the map game. And 
he did a really great job of creating these gigantic AI cars, and there's plenty of them. So you don't feel like you're playing the exact same AI every time. He gave you four levels of difficulty. He gave you, I think, 30 or so cards. So you're flipping these 30, 30 or 40 cards, and you're grabbing one of them each round and using that card. And it's hidden, so it doesn't. Even, you don't even know what's playing out or what order things are in every game. And I just found that very interesting. Uh, it's just a—it's actually a very simple set of instructions that you got to get used to, but they—it's just so well laid out. It tells you the locations and in what order you're supposed to make your choices, and it's on the card, so you don't have to go back to the rule book. It, this is in this order, and they have really good player aids, so you don't have to go back to the book to kind of figure things out. And I, I love that. I love that, but uh, getting yeah, getting back to uh, like folklore. The reason why I do like that is because it has these simple base mechanics that they don't break the, the great wheel that we have of D and D. Like they don't break it. Like they they do pretty much D one hundreds, you know, like D one hundred, D six, D eight, stuff like that. But it feels thematic. It's written well, and you you just get into your characters. They have they they don't have their own story, but they feel like part of the story when you play with them. And you can you can lead into your character and have a full on D and D night by yourself. And I, I I like that you know like the DM less games, and that's kind of what that one is great at. It is great at. Um, I I love that game. Um. Yeah, let's um let's let's jump back into Kingdom Death Monster. You mentioned that one oh, quite a few times earlier. Yeah, yeah. What is it about that one that not only you? I mean, it, it's drawn a ton of people in. It was one of the biggest Kickstarters of all time. I think it's still number yes. two. Second, maybe? yeah, second yeah, now behind Frosthaven. And so, yeah. what is it about that game that just draws so many people into the lifestyle? Like you said earlier, it's not just a game; it's a lifestyle in and yeah, of itself. Everything. So, yeah, tell everything. me about that. One. It starts with the black box. It's all black, all black. There is not a board game that's just all black. First of all, <laughs> there's darkness coming into your house. All right. You open the box. There's plastic everywhere. And it's all stuff you got to make yourself. All right. So that's level one. Are you ready to do this? Okay. That, that's a lifestyle part right there. Because you're going to be spending a good 10 hours, you know, a couple hours. Let's say you're good, you're good with a glue gun and all that stuff. It's going to take a good three, four hours to get you to the base characters so that you can do that. Oh, by the way, you can cut cut these things out of the plastic and customize your characters as well with their body gear and everything. All right, so then we get into the game, which does get you up and running pretty quickly, like very quickly, because you start out in the middle of nothingness in a merge, and the first thing you do is fight. That's it. Like, you just fight. You woke up in the middle of darkness. There's a lion right there. The lion's going to eat you. Fight. <laughs> that's it and uh it, you know what it is the game is always high stakes the gameplay is always high stakes and you don't get a chance to breathe in that game nobody is safe in that game uh the events that happen um, the ai system in that game is very very it's it, it was innovative at the time because you're not just attacking you're attacking body parts uh, you're attacking areas and weak points, and when he, when they hit you, they're attacking body parts, uh, body parts as well. So you get different things that happen to your body parts when they hit you, and then you get th- that same thing happens to them. So when you get crit, something may fly off. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't just hit them; <laughs> whatever that is is gone. <laughs> like that part of the body might be gone, and you'll live, <laughs> but you'll have one less limb or something like that, or you won't be able to procreate. You know, something like that. So, you know, so it's, it's a, and what they've done was unlike anybody else, they built the civilization. They built a Civ game in there. They built, built a monster hunter game in there. And they just built this like storytelling that is unlike anything else. I mean, just unlike anything else. And there's this mystery, you know, this witch comes into town and she just says, hey, I curse you all. I'll see you in three years. You're like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? 
you know, or there's a murder going on in town and they think your best and strongest warrior committed that murder. You're like, wait, what? And if you roll bad, guess what happens? The townsfolk kill your favorite warrior. So the favorite warrior you have is dead. But that makes sense in the world that you're in. Uh, you know, you've it's earned. Everything is earned. Like how people say that in the movie, it's earned. And the cool thing about that is, is they also created these little games within the game. Like how you develop your tech tree of your people. How did they learn how to read? Uh, how did they learn how to reproduce how did they learn how to basket weave for the first time and as they do that they open up more buildings these buildings have more things that they can create and buy with the bones and stuff that they come back with and it just continues to grow and grow and grow in that sense of power you have of growing your population your people uh, is very gratifying and then you go out there and even when you go out there with all your best stuff and your bone armor and you got these, you know, spike hands now and you maybe one guy has like a scimitar that looks, you know, feels good. You go out there and you get brutalized. You know, it's still risk. It's still survival. It's still survival. And you have so much agency in those people. You have so much invested in those people. And, you know, the bright moments are so bright and the dark moments are so dark. And they're devastating. And it's it's it just has its own payoff. That game, man, that game is great. <laughs> the game is great. Yeah, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about it. I feel like going back to the word earned, it's that's a big one because you gotta earn the game. First of all, if you have to yeah. put it all together and you know, put all the pieces together and glue it all together before you can even start playing, right. you gotta have to invest in it. And you know, human psychology, anything we invest in, we're tied more to. We feel you know, like we don't want to lose it as much. We don't want to give it up as much. And so I think that's right. another thing to think about. Yeah, I, I I just think like that game is rare. You know, it's rare to have that level. But I think it needs to be there. I'm glad it's there because it gives people a, something to look to and say, hey, what were they doing that worked? You know, like Tainted Grail is like that. Like it's so well written and the gameplay is good. But it's got some flaw in it that goes like, well, thank God this writing is so good. I want to go through the whole story. But it's got a little bit of flaws in there that kind of show its rear its ugly head as you play it more and more and more. Kino Death Monster has a simplicity in many different ways that it presents many different games inside the game that keep you interested. Whether it's like, hey, I don't necessarily like the combat as much. I just want to get all the resources and bones and and scrap and skin and stuff, take it back to my city and do that. Well, I don't like that part. I like the part where you go on the hunt. So I like the crazy events that happen on your way to the hunt. You know, I, I may feel like we may not even make it there. You know, uh, there's like a, like, it's almost like there's a chase scene going to the hunt. So, you know, it, people like that part, like the anticipation. And, uh, you know, it, there's just levels to that game. Uh, that could be in a lot of different games. And that's why now you're starting to see games that try to mimic some of these things. So, uh, because they, they were, they're great. I'm sorry. Like that AI system with the attack and the body parts or different areas and things like that is just, it, it's, it's so gratifying when it pays off and when it goes bad, it's like, whoa, and it should be. So yeah, it's a very unique game. That's why it's held in such a high regard. And, if you ask somebody what was the best solo game of all time, those people would scream from the rooftops, except they don't go vote on BGG for anything. They are too busy <laughs> playing KDM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. well, well, as we kind of close this thing out, tell me about Mage Knight. Tell me why in the world you love it so much. I mean, I know a lot of people who have tried to get into it and have just bounced off of it for various reasons. Why do you think it's so great? Well, Mage Knight is the greatest game of all time because... It is the perfect puzzle. It is the perfect hand management puzzle. How you use those cards for one thing or the other thing, you are up against a time period. You are discovering the world. You're going to have many challenges to tell about along the way. It is a one-shot tale. And the tale is, how the heck did you get to that last castle? And how did you survive? Or did you survive? And honestly, it doesn't even matter if you score. It doesn't matter what the score is. But after a while, you want to keep the score. That's the interesting part about it. You really just want to win. You want to finish. 
and <laughs> the score is sometimes not even a big deal. So it's like I I I, I constantly tell me like that design will never really age just because the hand management is so good. It's great. It is great. There's nothing like that feeling of that climb of a one-shot story and the payoff of that one. A game that does something uh, close to similar as Champions of Hara. Uh, what's the other one? Shadows of Kill 4, for they, like you go on this one-shot journey and you have the full journey in one one game. Uh, and I they, they do it pretty well. It's just that Mage Knight is the best at it because the hand management is so good. Um, but yeah, it just I, I can't exp- I can't explain it other than that. Like not only are you learning how to use your hand and make it stronger for you and the choices that you have day and night to what you're gonna do with those things, but you're up against time. Time meaning like the movement, the pace you move at, uh, the as you discover the tiles, you're unlocking these caves, what's in the cave different challenges that will come up randomly and you still have to deal with them and you want to be strong enough to, to deal with this final like <laughs> death run <laughs> at the end at this last castle trying to trying to figure it all out and uh, this murderer's row of characters and you're sitting there with your hand and it's like you lay it down and you go alright dog how am I going to figure this out and <laughs> like that right there is the ultimate it is the ultimate. It's just the ultimate of gaming. That's what gaming comes down to. You know, great decisions. Uh, and that game is full of great decisions. It's not, it's full of great decisions. Yeah. And I also feel like a lot of the games you've talked about have really interesting narratives or the narrative that really comes out through gameplay. How much do you think narrative and story play into these games that you think are so good? So, so the thing about it is, is that to me, gameplay over everything. But the things that the games that I'm talking about, do such a good job with the gameplay part that I care about the theme. Like they made me care about this theme they were trying to sell me on. You know, uh, like I said, Manhattan Project NG Empower, driest looking Euro game ever. Gallerist, driest looking Euro game ever. You know, um, Escape Plan, driest Euro game ever. But the mechanics that they built into it actually make me understand what the theme is. You know, whether it's written on cards or mechanically, now I understand why we're doing this back and forth thing of me selling paintings. Now I understand, you know, what, what, like I understand what they're trying to do. I think the biggest, the scariest part, and I want to go back to that narrative thing, is people stink at writing. <laughs> so it's hard, you know, like it's hard to have story and narrative when you're not that great at it, you know? Um, and, and it's not cheap to hire people either, right? So. That that part that's hard. I mean, sticking with a theme is difficult enough, but man, writing, <laughs> man, writing a story, writing a full background for all these characters—that's tough. I I don't wish that upon anybody. And the just know that the payoff, if you could get somebody to work with you on it, is huge, because Tainted Grail is popular for a reason. It's not popular just because Awakened Realms made it. They had to sell you on it before you know before it was tainted grail and they had to sell you because they had things that you could read and people read them and they were like oh man this is crazy this world is awesome you know and i think that's a testament to how good of a writer they are that that they have a good writing team folklore same thing they have a great writing team and it's also D &D. so you know like it's it's a it's an element it's an element that people care about more than i do i would say um I have to work backwards. I got to do gameplay or everything before anything. I need to read that rule book and see what the gameplay is. So I know what the hook is for me at least. Yeah. That's how I feel about themes is honestly, it's got to be gameplay or everything. Very cool. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Closing thoughts. You know, as we kind of wrap things up, somebody maybe listening to this is thinking about designing a solo game or a solo mode for their game. What would you tell them? What would be like your, your final advice for them? Uh, I would just say, just make sure that you know, this is, it's all about having fun. Don't, don't force yourself to make a solo mode. Don't feel like you're on the hook for that. Make sure when you make a solo mode, it's fun. It It's just as fun as the multiplayer, or it tells another part of the story that a multiplayer does, 
but it's still the same game. You know, um, try just try to stay on theme, try to stay on point, and 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 you should you should find it. You should find that solo game that you're looking for. Um, I would also say don't worry about don't worry about the response to like Beecher score or you know objective. It the design will tell you, hey, you know I, I put in the solo mode and it just feels like a kind of a bland Beecher score thing. Or it feels like, whoa, like I actually have something here that feels maybe even better, you know, and that may actually give you some more ideas to go back to the to the multiplayer. I, I just think there's opportunities there to to make great solo modes, but there's also opportunities where you have to kind of see the writing on the wall and just say, hey, you know, I did design a solo mode and it was just not fun. And you can be honest with your backers, potential backers, and say that it, it's just when it's the other way around and then you sell somebody a product and it's bad, then we got a problem. <laughs> so, you know, and and then you kind of come back with another Kickstarter and you're wondering why you're $20,000 short. So I don't want that for anybody. I would just say, do the work. Don't feel pressured to do it. And the thing that you need to know, it must be fun. It has to be fun. It, it doesn't have to, it just exists. It has to be fun. And you should be able to talk about it like it's fun and not just, yeah, we have a solo mode. You know, it should be fun. You should be excited about it. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with all the cool content stuff you're uh, creating over there at Man versus Meeple. And good luck with everything else you got going on right now. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. And thank you guys for listening to me ramble for an hour. But i really, really passionate about this hobby, really passionate about solo games. That's what I love, man. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?